we're going through the names of God just now. And we've come to one which is perhaps one of the better known names of God, but one which I really enjoy because it takes me back. We spent nine wonderful years in the city of Morgantown, West Virginia. Morgantown's right up there on the, on the Pennsylvania border, just uh, 45 minutes or so south of Pittsburgh. It's where West Virginia University is. We loved it, loved the people there, made a lot of friends and great memories and make us smile every time we think of them, which is often. And I remember one sign. You would drive up through the downtown section. There's a, there was a, a, a bridge that went off to the west right across the Monongahela River, which is one of the two rivers that make up the Ohio for you geography people. As you crossed over into the little village of Westover and wound your way up the mountain to the shops and the, and the houses there, there was a beauty parlor off to the right. Big sign, El Shaddai Beauty Parlor. My, my head always translates things even when it doesn't want to. Literally, it was saying, God Almighty Beauty Salon, El Shaddai, God Almighty. And I, and I thought, well, you know, some people might need God Almighty Beauty Salon, but it, it, seemed, it seemed an odd name, uh, frankly. So I decided actually to look it up online so I could get a picture of it and show it to you today. And I found over a dozen El Shaddai Beauty Salons in America and two in Europe. So evidently, they are fulfilling a need which I had completely missed. <laughs> Most churchgoers probably know the name El Shaddai from a song written by Franklin's own Michael Card and appearing on his debut album Legacy back in 1981. Or if they don't know it there, they know it from its most popular version, which was done a year later, 1982, by Amy Grant on her album Age to Age. Michael Card and John Thompson actually wrote it by taking names and quotations out of Scripture and putting them into the song. It bears um, standing in the music field for the song which has more scriptural allusions in it than any other song which made a hit. In fact, most of the words in the song come directly from Scripture. It became such a powerful song among Christians that it was sung around campfires and in youth rallies until it worked its way into mainstream worship over the years. It appears this name, El Shaddai, first, as do many names, in the life of Abraham. In fact, he was still known as Abram, 99 years old. He needed to be reminded that he belonged to God. Now, that may sound odd. It may even sound like it's a bit of a put-down on Abram that he's 99 and he needs to be reminded that, no, we all need to be reminded how many times every single day that we do not belong to ourselves, but we belong to God. So God comes to him, and he wants to make, him, make sure he understands you don't just belong to God. You don't belong to any God. You belong to the God, the Almighty God. It appears first in Genesis 17, verses 1 through 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, 
This is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. It's a word play in Hebrew. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give to you as everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Now, very impressive scripture. Very impressive. And the words there, we, we could all nod along with that and say, yes, yes, that sounds very much like God. That does there. But put it in context. You're a 99-year-old guy. You, and by the way, I know people say, well, they lived longer back then. They didn't live much longer than 99 years. He is old by any definition of the term in that time. So there he is, and God's looking at him and saying, I'm the almighty God. I'm going to make this happen through you. How much faith do you have to have? As a 99-year-old to believe, I'm going to have lots of kids. I haven't yet, but it's going to happen. And, nation, and the, the land I've been wandering in my entire life will be given to me. I don't think we give these guys enough credit for their faith. It, it is staggering to me. Because I know me. And I'd be going, yeah, really? You want to get moving on that? Um, might want to hurry? But no. Abram had to believe because this is the God, the one who can do it, God Almighty. He can do this. At this time, Ishmael was about 13 years old. Abram's family life was troubled, and God's coming to him and saying, you tried it on your own. Look what happened. I'm going to do this, not you. One of the hardest things it is to do is to let God do something without sticking your fingers in the pie. It is so hard because we are fix-it people, aren't we? We, we think we, we know something, and we can help God with this. God needs our help. Really? I don't think so. I think he was doing quite fine before Patrick was born. And when I die, I think he's still going to be doing fine. He's not going to be up in heaven saying, now what do we do? He's fine. I, I kind of wish he would, but I know he won't. He's God. He's almighty. We are a part of the story, but we are not the point of the story. And that is so hard to keep in mind. Soon, three visitors would come to his tent, one of them revealing himself to be the angel of the Lord, and two, bringing judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. God was about to break into the world in powerful ways, ways that he had not done since the days of the flood, at least that we know about. God does not have to record everything he does or tell us. But this is going to be the biggest incursion on the planet that we know about since the flood. And Abraham needed to know that this God was not to be resisted. This God is not to be doubted. As C.S. Lewis famously said, you cannot break the commandments. You disobey them and they break you. God will not be mocked. God is God Almighty. And that means he's going to do what God is going to do. And none of us are going to stop him. I told you before, 
ran a wee experiment a couple years ago. It went sideways very quickly. I don't want to do it again. Put up on Facebook. But, um, by the way, most bad experiments start with Facebook. Uh, so I put up, would you be upset or offended or disappointed in any way if when you got to heaven, everybody got to heaven? Everybody goes. Well, first of all, notice what I did there. I assumed you're getting to heaven because everybody assumes they're going, but the others won't make the cut. It was amazing the number of Christians, some of whom I have a great deal of respect for, that I've known for many years. They were going, yes, I would be upset because, you know, we followed the law and we did this and this is... And I'm going, really? Would you go up to God then and say, you know something, I'm offended, I'm leaving. <laughs> People in that time, you know what you are? You're Mrs. Noah. We don't even know her name, just Mrs. Noah. She's in a boat... Poorly decorated, because uh, it's, got, it's got sticky stuff on the walls, pitch. Every time you, you, uh, you get rocked a bit, you're oh, stuck to the wall. It's, it's, it's smelly, it's dirty, it is dark. It's, you've been there, for, I can see her now going to, to Noah saying, right, that's it, I'm leaving. Where? Where are you going? You know, I don't care how, if, if Adam and Eve had a fight, where, where are you going? You know, this is, there's a limit here, and, and this is God. You're not going to stop him, and that's, that's a good thing to remember whenever the news people try to tell you, be afraid, good things are going away. God is being stopped, is what they're trying to say. Woe is us. I, I tell my kids and grandkids, when everything is 11, nothing is 11. They know what that means because spinal tap, but those of you that don't, if everything is an alarm, it's not an alarm. Do you remember when car alarms first showed up? Well, that was awful, wasn't it? Somebody sneezed in the next county, and all of a sudden, beep, beep, beep. What did we all learn to do within days? Ignore. You ignore. Why? Because it means nothing. It always means nothing. People, I want you to think of that next time you turn on the news. God's not going to be stopped. And his people are not going to be stopped. So, if God's team's going to win, get on his team. Well, back to El Shaddai. El Shaddai, as both names put together, El Shaddai, God Almighty, only occurs eight times in the Old Testament. That's, that was a bit of a surprise to me when I went through to look for them. Shaddai, on its own, the Almighty, is found a lot, 40 times but 31 of those are found in Job. Job, sitting there in ashes, wearing sackcloth, covered with sores, all of his children gone, his reputation shot, and his wife leaning over him saying, curse God and die. I made her English because I don't know what, I don't do Mesopotamia. And he, 30 times, refers to his God as he can do anything. He can even fix this. The Almighty can fix this. There are nine times in other places if you don't do your math well, but there are other times that the name God Almighty or Almighty God shows up in the New Testament. And I've got a little slide here just to show you the variety. Lord Almighty or the Almighty. Lord God Almighty. God Almighty. Lord God Omnipotent is another way of saying Lord God Almighty. 
Notice how many of those are in the book of Revelation. Those aren't all of them, by the way, but that's a good proportion. Most of the time that this name is found in the New Testament, it's found in Revelation. Why? Because the book of Revelation is a book of rebellion against the world system. It is saying, you don't follow the world, you don't follow its governments, you don't follow its finances, you don't follow its schemes, you follow Almighty God, worship the Lamb. You don't worship power, you don't worship armies, you worship the Lamb of God. Not just the Lamb of God, but when He comes out in Revelation, He is as a slaughtered Lamb. And we're told, that's what we worship. We go against, we go contrary to this world. And the book of Revelation reminds us the reason we can do that is because our God is almighty. And here's where we need to talk about baptism a bit. might seem odd, but no, it isn't really. I've had people say, I, I want to be baptized, but I need to straighten out some things in my life first. No. Now, if you're actively doing sin, you know, if you're if you're, you're selling drugs on the corner, that does need to stop because you're supposed to repent and then be baptized. Fair enough. But until you are baptized, you don't have the almighty power of God to help you stop sinning. You've got to have the Holy Spirit to stop sinning. And you receive the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in baptism. And that's why the churches of Christ, it's one of the reasons why the churches of Christ have always been insistent upon we are a people, the baptized believers. Everybody baptized in Scripture was called a man or a woman. They knew enough to make this decision for themselves, and they had decided, I'm following Jesus. Our baptistry in Scotland was the North Sea. That's cold. It's really cold. And as we would be standing, we always sang before we walked out into the, the North Sea, or if you're on the other side, the Irish Sea, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Some people thought that was just a nice tradition. No, I was singing it too, thinking I need to remember not to scream and run away as soon as I hit this water. But, but I'm, I'm being watched. I actually need to get them under rather than sending them out and giving them instructions. I need to go with them. I did think of that. I did think of it, but I, I felt that that would probably not be wise. The point being, you got to know this is what I want to do. And I'm going to do it. But from then on, you've got help to do the rest. I, um, I talked about losing poor friends well, I'm not in despair, I'm not depressed, I'm not saddened. You know, there are some sad moments in it and such. Of course, you hate to see people mourning. Drove down to South Alabama, did the funeral, drove back yesterday, got back last night. How can I do this? You know, there were, there were four traffic jams on the way back. I count, I count. There were four traffic jams, there were lines of storms uh, that my GPS kept directing me off the interstate, basically saying, abandon hope all you who enter here. And so I'd be off on little two-lane roads in Alabama and hit another traffic jam, and I'm thinking, I'm going to die in Alabama. <laughs> and God's not going to find me because nobody would look for me in Alabama. <laughs> my body won't be found for a while. My wife will go on, have a rich, full life. You know, the whole point. That's all going through my head. And people say, how can you do all this travel? People, it's not me. And I can say that honestly. I am not a good individual, and I have so few talents. But with Almighty God, He can do stuff. All you got to do is hand it over. 
with Moses handing the stick, the, the wee boy handing the loaves and fishes. Give him what you've got. I mean, David facing Goliath, little boy David, and we sing the songs about it. he went down to the brook and he took five stones. Why? He only needed one. He overarmed. With God, no, just hand him one stone. That'll do. Give what you've got to God. And that's what baptism is, saying, I give it. You be- it's all yours now. You've got my life. You're in charge. Look what Paul says in Ephesians. We'll read from chapter 1 and then a verse from chapter 6. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power, power for those, for us who believe, his power in us. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Stop right there. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in every baptized believer. All you got to do is use it. You might say, well, I don't really, I haven't really noticed. C.S. Lewis, again, this in the days of fountain pens. Now, some of you younger ones may have never seen a fountain pen. Back in the day, you actually had to have a little reservoir of ink in there that you could slosh about and it, it flowed out. And it was, it was you know, very elegant in calligraphy and such, but it also blot everything if you weren't great at it. He said, you can get the world's most expensive fountain pen and the world's best ink and not be able to do anything with it if you don't pick it up. You have to pick it up. You've got the power. So do it. Show up. Finally. Be strong. This is six chapters. He started in verse 1. Now in chapter 6, he's still pushing them. Finally, be strong. How? In the Lord and in his mighty power. Don't go out with the strength you have. Go out with his strength. Use his strength. Remember this. It is in us. We are the temple of God. We are no longer timid souls blown about By every way the wind blows. No. We're the temple of God. He lives in us. He will empower us. All we have to do is use it. It's significant that God reminds us that he's not only mighty, but almighty. Because we kind of need that, don't we? God is mighty. And we all agree God is mighty. But if we're very honest, there are a few places in our lives where we're thinking God's not going to be able to change that. And he says, no, I'm almighty. I can, I can get that one too. I can change that one as well. The name almighty, just almighty for God, is used about 60 times in Scripture. And every time that name shows up, every time, it refers to God and God alone. It expresses a couple of real important truths. His almightiness means he can fulfill every promise he's ever spoken. I told you before, and I was very open about it. This is not a false humility. I'm not, necess- I'm not a good person many times. I want to be. I really do, but I fail. And I have a very limited pile of gifts. And yet, I'm saved. I know that. I know that. And the reason is not because of me, but because of him. 
Not because I'm good, but because he's good. He can even save me, which means he can certainly save you. He can save you. And if you're thinking, oh, not me, you, you need to understand that's what everybody thinks. But he's almighty. He's gotcha. Do you remember when you were taught to swim, perhaps? Most normal people, when they're taught to swim, are little people standing on the edge, trembling, scrawny little legs turning blue. And your dad, your mom, or a teacher's down there saying, oh, just jump, I've got you. And you're thinking, I'm not so sure they do. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure they, you know, they, they have the best intentions, but maybe not the, the, the ability. Maybe this is the time they'll slip. God's not going to slip. He's got you. Jump. Do it. Now, you might say, well, I've trusted him before, and it didn't turn out well. You know something? You need to remember something else about God. He's not only almighty, he's also wise. It could be what you wanted to do was not the right thing. Well, the hardest things for me to pray, well, the hardest things for me to pray is thy will be done. That may be really easy for you, so go ahead and judge. The reason it's hard for me is because many of my prayers are to tell God what his will should be. Right? Don't we do that? So it's, um, as, as one person, I wish I could find who said this originally and give them credit. Most of us want to serve God, but only in the capacity as an advisor. Yeah, God, this is what you should be doing with this. Thy will be done sometimes means you get nails in you. Talk to Jesus. He's mighty, but that doesn't mean he's going to do everything you want him to do. He will fulfill his promises. He will do the right thing. He will perform every word he has spoken, but don't put words in his mouth. In Jeremiah 32, verse 27, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? And other times he asks people, is my arm too short that I can't reach you? Is that what you're worried about? He tells us to pray and move mountains. He tells us, 1 John 4, there is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And I'm sorry, I am so sorry that so many of you were in churches where the punishment of God was thrown at you as a threat time after time after time. And you barely heard of the love of God. And when you did, it didn't seem like love because the threat was always there. I'm sorry. Because the scripture says punishment is off the table. Love is there. Perfect love casts out fear. I used to do about 12 youth rallies a year. I've cut that down to just a couple. And now, but one of the things I would tell the kids is, I have a beautiful wife who's talented, well-known, social, lovely, has friends. Yet she'll go one place and I'll go another and I don't worry about, oh, what's she doing? Because we love each other, there's no fear. That's gone. And I'll talk to them about how to look for that and how to develop that. But even that is just a shadow of the love that God has for us. He says, why are you afraid? Do you think I'm afraid? Talking about himself. Sometimes, people, we need to remember that. We'll 
I'll mention that here in a bit. Look at, look at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy says the same. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Everybody understands that, don't you? After, sometimes it gets a bit weak. Fan it into flame, the gift of God, the power which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. There is no room for fear where God lives. Another aspect of this name that is lost to us, but which is pretty important. The name Shaddai come, means more than just almighty and power. It comes from a root word, very well known in the Semitic languages. It means the provider, and originally meant the mother who is breastfeeding her child. When a child needs breastfed, only mom will do. Mom is the provider of all good things. Mom is the one that keeps him alive. The first couple of years of a child's life, dad is a bit superfluous, frankly. He's there to hold the child while mama does something but then return the child as soon as possible. And it's, it's not an insult. It's merely we're not designed to be that all provider. And so the scripture often talks about we lean on God's breast or his breast has love for us. And that the whole point is that Shaddai, he's the provider of everything you're ever going to need. So God arrives at the tent of Abraham and tells him, I am everything you need. I supply it. No one can stop me. And there is no one greater than me. Bono and you too can sing. I still haven't found what I've been looking for. And I get, I get the point. I really do. But Abraham found out a salient truth. You don't have to look for him. This God will look for you. This God will hunt you. Even in a tent in the, in the plain of Mamre. He will find you. He found you. If you're here today, he found you. He arranged things so that you could hear that he has hunted you and found you. Don't doubt that. Don't doubt him. He is the almighty provider. We don't have the excuse anymore that we're not qualified. It, it's become almost cliche and trite, but it's still true. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. You don't have to wait until you're gifted to serve God. He will give you the gifts you need as you step up to serve Him. You remember, in fact, He even told His people, don't worry about the words you're going to say. When you stand up, the Spirit will give you those words. And I think I've told you the story before, but this was most driven home to me in my worst sermon ever. Now, not worst sermon doctrinally, because I've, I've preached some awful stuff. I, you learn. You learn. Then you go back a few years later and start shredding sermons. Uh, but I, no, it was just, this was just a lead turkey. This thing was not going to fly. I thought it was going to fly. Wasn't going to fly. About five minutes in, I realized this is a disaster. And I looked down over the rest of the notes and I'm thinking, and it doesn't get better. I tried to rescue it. I, I didn't have much I could work with. After about another five or six minutes, I realized it's time to quit. Just stop. Don't wrap it up. There's nothing to wrap. 
just end it. And so I stepped down, and it surprised the song leader. We didn't have worship leaders back in the day. And uh, he quit coloring or whatever he's doing and, and grabbed his songbook and, <laughs> you know, and looked, got his reading glasses on and started leading the song. Well, the, back in the day, he had imitation songs, because, and our culture was different then. So I was standing up there just thinking, just get it over with. Please don't let it be just as I am. I'm going to be up here all day. And it wasn't. It was, it was a one, two, and four song, so we were good. And a woman came forward. And I just looked at her for a while. So I went and sat beside her. I always ask, how can I help you today? Ever since there was a, a young girl that walked forward once, and a little girl. And I, I, I sat down beside her, and I said, do, do you want to be baptized? And she says, no, I'm, where's the restroom? <laughs> and so I've learned... Always ask, always ask what you're looking for. And this lady just might be disoriented in some way. And she said, I want to be baptized. And I said, that's lovely, that's wonderful. I couldn't help it. I said, why? And, and she told me, and all, all the words were right. Couldn't leave it alone. Leaned in and I said, when did you decide that? And she goes, was during your sermon. The things you were saying just hit me. And, I'm, and I said, can't leave it alone. What, what was it that I said? <laughs> and so she started talking to me, and she said some beautiful things. And people, as God is my witness, I didn't say a one of those. Kind of looked up and went, good one, God. All you got to do is show up and let God Almighty do what God Almighty does. It's not about us. It's about Him. So Paul reminds us of this in 2 Corinthians. This is who we are. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I got enough for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Hey, you got weakness? Yeah, me too. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now do you understand? Because we're letting God Almighty do the work. We just show up and be used however he wants us to be used. You would be forgiven for wondering, because we all do sometimes. If God is so almighty, why is this happening? Why is that happening? The friend that I did the funeral for yesterday died of ALS after seven years suffering. His mother had three sons. All three died of ALS. How much can you take? Her husband died because of a mistake made in the hospital. Completely avoidable. What do you say to this woman? Why is this happening? Well, the answer is simple and profound, and that is God does not look upon what is happening here as the worst that can happen to you. Death is not the worst that can happen to you. Sickness, loss of job, loss of dream, that's not the worst that can happen to you. The worst that can happen to you is that you walk away from him because he's the only power we've got. And if you're thinking, why doesn't he move now? The answer is very simple. Because he is not panicked. Even when we're panicked, he is not. He understands who's going to win. In fact, there's an odd channel on tele television, um, 
I'm, I've never watched it because it just amazes me that it exists. Now, some of you later will tell me it's because we love sports, and I get this. But it's ESPN Classic. Classic. We, we already know who won. We, we know what happened. And I've had people say, oh, I've watched that game eight times. Really? Have you met somebody with a life that they could describe to you what it's like to, to have one? The only worst thing would be betting on games and ESPN Classic. I, I, I just... <laughs> Why would you... The winner is known, people. We're in the middle of the contest, but the winner is known. The only question is, will you take the winning side and declare your allegiance openly to the Lord God Almighty? Would you stand and we will read Joshua 24. When I say we, I would like for you to read this with me, please. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the god of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And the whole church says,